I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi everyone, this is Raghu and Mind Rolling and our new edition this week features uh, a very, very, very special person named Annie Lamott. I hope and think that most of you listening and watching will uh, recognize her and know about her, especially if you follow her on Facebook. She's amazing. Writes these uh, these excellent, excellent little essays reflecting our times. Uh, so astute that she is. And she is the most unique writer that I know. I mean, she's uh, uh, extraordinary in her abilities uh, to, uh, to really get across these uh, concepts that are uh, so necessary, especially in these times. And this new book of hers called Hallelujah anyway, in spite of it all. 
<laughs> I like that. Especially today's times, in spite of it all, hallelujah. Anyway, uh, it's around the concept of mercy, which I didn't have much of a relationship with. Uh, and uh, once she got into uh, the definition of that term, uh, related to kindness, related to compassion, related to love and caring. Uh, uh, I have a whole new relationship with it now, and uh, I think you will too when you listen to this. This is uh, uh, one of, to me, given the times we're in, it's just an ex- just an exceptional uh, a podcast in terms of what it is that she has to say and what this book is about, and gives me another opportunity to talk about support for the Be Here Now Network. Okay, we need it. And this is, uh, of course, I've talked about the Amazon, the just uh, the easiest, easiest way for you guys to support us is to get that link on BeHereNowNetwork.com and just uh, in, copy and paste it into your bookmark bar and whenever you need to buy something from Amazon, bang, there it is. Uh, you can uh, easily, easily um, click on that link and get whatever you want. And we get a few percent. I mean, it's uh, it's really helpful. It's not a lot, but if a lot of people do it, then it goes a long way to supporting us. So uh, go up there and get Annie's book, will you? It's uh, Hallelujah Anyway. And otherwise, uh, I urge you to uh, take the alternative route, which is uh, if you're not an Amazon purchaser, then we'd love uh, for you to consider going up and and to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And and there's a a support button or a donate button link. And you can just, if you just do like a nine bucks a month thing, uh, that again will be super, super helpful. And all of this goes to to the support for everybody who puts all this stuff together for the network and also for us to be able to share with the teachers. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom on this network. Jack Kornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Krishna Das, Ram Das, Joseph Goldstein, uh, Lama Surya Das, on and on and on. I mean, we keep adding people and so on. And it's uh, it's a real enterprise that needs your support. So please either uh, check out and uh, bookmark the Amazon link or go and see what you can do about a little donation. Even a one time is good. So here we go. This is uh, Annie Lamont. Again, I can't uh, emphasize how great this woman is and uh, a New York Times bestseller. She's got a bunch of books out there. You just go check out Annie Lamott. Just Google her up. and Or look on the page. We're going to have uh, you know the page that this podcast will reside at on Be Here Now Network and you will get links to all this stuff. So here we go. Annie Lamott and all around her new book Hallelujah Anyway. Hi everyone, it's Mind Rolling on the Be Here Ramdas's Be Here Now Network. And uh, today I am visiting with somebody named Annie Lamott. Annie, so happy to have you here. Thank you. Although you've been here before, not on, on this one, but uh, we have mutual yeah. friend, Dale Borglum, Ramdas. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. And uh, so uh, everybody, there are many people out there that have probably already uh, tuned into that particular podcast. But this is this is going to be a good one because of the subject matter. Now, I feel like I, I don't really know Annie, uh, but I really know Annie. And I know her through her work, through her words. And which to me, um, like I was in, Annie, I was in the music business for a long time. That was a big part of my life, always has been. And so I've always, you know, how you can really connect with someone who is really expressing their soul in a song and or an artist through a painting or whatever. And uh, Annie, everybody out there who does not know Annie Lamott, Annie does, does this so fabulously through her work, expresses her soul. So I just, uh, to me, it's a real gift, and, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really grateful and honored to have you on the show, Annie. Thank you. So, okay. Annie's coming out with a book. By the way, uh, Annie has many, many books for you all, we're gonna, and we're going to put them up on the page so everybody can have a gander at uh, some of the work that, that Annie has done in the past. So when this podcast is up, you'll be able to access all of that. But the new book is called Hallelujah Anyway. Re- and the uh, subtitle is Rediscovering Mercy. So here we have a word that is really a no-no. I mean, when uh, Ramdas came back uh, from India the first time after he had met Neem Karoli Baba, and he started t- lecturing and giving talks around and, and, and some of them, uh, they started out with, well, I have a few dirty words here that I'm going to be talking about that are going to be very hard for you to, to grasp. Surrender. Let's start there, he said. <laughs> Let's go on to devotion. You know? And I think mercy is one of those words, is it not? And so I'd love for you to just give us an idea of uh, a definition of mercy. Yeah, well... Um First of all, I've loved Ram Dass my whole life. I feel like he's my brother in all this, as most people who have read him and met him feel. Um, mercy for me means um, uh, kindness, loving kindness and grace and, 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 and generosity and forgiveness. I'd say those are all synonyms. Grace I've always described as being spiritual WD-40, and but it's also water wings that give you a little buoyancy when you think you're going down, or um, a second wind when you're really all used up. And I think grace is that loving divine energy that surrounds us and indwells us. And I think maybe mercy is the action word that goes along with mercy, because to show mercy to show forgiveness and loving kindness and generosity and to receive it, which is so much harder, is more of an is, is more of an action. Whereas grace is, I think, the stuff we're made of and the stuff that um, we are surrounded by, saved by, created in. And, um, and I've always said grace bats last. But I think mercy is the action step of, of grace. Mm. Very well put. So uh, in one of the things, uh, I, I think this is, it may be from the book, but maybe not. Uh, it just came along with the book that was sent to me. Uh, this is, but it's definitely from you. I am not sure I even recognize the ever presence of mercy anymore. 
the divine and the human, the messy, crippled, transforming, heartbreaking, lovely, devastating presence of mercy. But I have come to believe that I am starving to death for it, and my world is too. Boy, does that ring loud and true in the times that we are in right now? And that leads me to the question, did you plan to write this book because you knew that Trump was going to be elected and we would have this thing on our hands? I had a zero percent. I had a belief that there was a zero percent chance Trump would be elected. So that just goes to show. But um, I had started I, I wrote this book by accident. I was sort of tired of publishing and tired of the sound of my own voice. I'd published four books, Stitches, Help, Thanks, Wow. Uh, some assembly required and small victories sort of back to back. And so I was on book tour all the time and I didn't want to publish. I didn't want to um, go out on book tour. And, um, and this book kept tugging on my sleeve of my heart. Mm. And, um, and I noticed that if I thought of or said the words mercy or merciful, it changed people. And it changed me because it reminded me that in the face of the global catastrophe of climate change and of evil and of, um, you know, the devastating, grinding poverty that most people live under, there's also mercy. And for someone like me, who's, a, who's sort of OCD and over, easily overwhelmed, if I were in charge or if I were God's West Coast representative, mm-hmm. I would have things in a very organized system. So you'd have all the awful, scary, bad things in the fork drawer of the, and I'd have um, in the knife drawer, I'd have all the beautiful, benevolent healing things. And then where the soup spoons go, I would have things that, that just filled you with wonder and amazement. And, you know, and it's not like that. It's all marbled in together that the extraordinary beauty and preciousness of these lives and our breath and our awareness here and our friends and, and our family and, and nature and uh, community and marbled in with uh, extremely painful stuff that happens to people and um, and the awfulness of some people's hearts, the coldness and, and maybe just the wound and damage of some people's hearts that causes them to act out aggressively and in terms of dominating and in terms of um, greed and whatnot. So um, mm. I started to think about these two words and and that's why, I mean, accidentally, the next thing I knew, I thought, wow, does that change my day in the face of all this to even think that? And I started off thinking of the book as being called The Open Drawer. No, that was the title. Yeah, because I think that, w- that when we're little, we have it all. We have mercy and awareness. We have wonder and, and little kids give it all away. Like you make him a sandwich. I live with a seven-year-old. I make him sandwiches for school and he gives them to the kid who didn't bring anything, you know, and you say, no, no, don't give away your lunch, share it, you know, but little kids are, that's their nature. That's our nature. But at a very early age, like four or five, our parents in the society and the teachers start saying, no, no, put, you know, put that away. Don't be silly. We've got to get, we've got to get more um, focused on your own reading skills and your own math level and getting ahead and achieving. And, 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 um, I was in the fifties. Are you 60 yet? You look much younger in the 60s. I mean, so much by the way, (laughs) (laughs) in the fifties, when I was coming up, um, there was a book called the overly sensitive child and all the parents who were burdened with a child like me 
whose hearts were very open were given special tools to help them um, help their kid have more armor and thicker skin. And so you were taught to put away this dearness, sweetness, open heartedness, and to become more assertive. And people said things like they didn't. My parents forgot to say, um, oh, it's wonderful to be exactly the way you are. That's why I tell my Sunday school kids, you are loved and chosen and safe. And what my parents said instead was, when you do certain things, it makes all of us happy. And what they said was, oh, for Christ's sake, Annie, now what? Because I was so sensitive. You couldn't take me to the pound. We had a um, National Geographic subscription, which you couldn't lie, lay around, leave around because I would see what India was like for the, its children. And, um, and so I thought about all the stuff that we put away because grown-ups said to it said we we'd be more attractive and it make the family look better and so I thought about opening the drawer and just getting it all back out you know getting that crazy radical generosity back and getting back that that silliness and that wonder and that um realization that if somebody else doesn't have a sandwich it breaks your heart and and it's good breaking your heart it's like Carly Simon saying there's more room in a broken heart you know so I was thinking about it as this drawer in which all of the, the truth of my spiritual identity got put into. And I just got the drawer back out and started putting it back inside of me. Mm. And then I felt like this was one of the ways that old aging hippie leftist activists could help save the world is to have people start being more merciful to themselves as a starting point. Mm. More sandwiches being shared for sure yeah. would be a yeah, great yeah. thing. Yeah. And actually, your description just then, if people want, people talk about being on the spiritual path and taking Buddhist teachings or bhakti teachings and doing all of the different practices to to get where, you know, that everyone has a little bit of enlightenment or whatever it is uh, as, as far as they, they will think they can go or how they uh, put that word together where it means something and... Um, a, a lot. Uh, I just loved what you just said, Annie. About it, just the real purpose is around being able to be kind, being able to be a little bit compassionate, and and share that sandwich. That we could just get yeah. there, you know. Yeah. Forget well, all the high food and stuff. It's uh oh, sorry, my phone's ringing. I was trying to turn it off. Um, I'm not very mechanical. <laughs> um. <laughs> Um, there's two sandwich things that I think are the total secret of life. One is um, what Warren Zevon said at the end of his life. And he said that having a terminal illness helped him to really appreciate each sandwich. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and in terms of being here now and awareness and, you know, being where your butt is, you could also, I love sandwiches. They're probably my main food. And, uh, <laughs> and to enjoy each sandwich and to share what you have, you know, to give it away as a way of filling up and, and, giving it away as a way of um, finding the true wealth of having a, a being a warm hearted being here. Mm. Yeah. If you don't mind, I love reading some of the, some of the passages from the book as I found them. Uh, and by the way, usually because I, I'm a little, everyone's completely preoccupied with their work and their lives and so on and so forth. But in my podcast life, which is part of my work, when I get a book and I'm going to talk to somebody about them, I never can read the whole book. I just don't have the time. You know, usually there's a few days, maybe 
you know, and they're stacked up on my desk and all around. And, right. and I go through it and I find things that attract me that, uh, that I think would be, you know, great to ex- explicate to, uh-huh. to, to everybody and share with everybody. I, uh-huh. I couldn't, uh, I could not do that with your oh, book. Oh, thank you. Let's just take one second while I yell at the dog. Yeah, Lady Bird, there's no one there. There's no one there. Look at me. Okay, <laughs> That's not um, going to work. Lady Bird, Lady Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Bird, it will. She'll um, oh, yeah. she'll realize in a minute that um, it was all in her head, as most of our problems are. Um, well, thank you for saying that. That you finished it. That means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so uh, now. Uh, what I uh, starting at the very beginning of what uh, it it sounds like what or a who prompted you around mercy and i just want to read more often than not the north star that guides me through the darkness is the old testament prophet micah and that was like news to me annie i mean i'm I'm, now i got to start reading micah he must have looked like a complete stoner or a game of thrones extra a complete a a, uh, and smelled like a goat yet nearly three thousand years ago he spoke the words that often remind me of my path and purpose what doth God require of thee but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Uh, now, that I'm taking that's the inspiration ultimately yeah. for this book. Yeah, definitely. But almost all wisdom traditions have said words to the same effect that um, that we trust God. You know, we as much as possible, surrender and release, not my strong suit, but we surrender and release and we unfurl our hands and we try to breathe and, and, and that we, um, and that we be people of generosity and that most wisdom traditions say the same thing, that if you want to feel, um, okay and safe and, and filled up, give it all away. And that we walk humbly with God, which is, again, not my strong suit. I think in the next sentence from what you read, I said, it's humility is not my strong suit and my humility yeah. kick your humility's butt. But um, that's the dream. That's the, the goal. And that's the North Star is to realize how little we're in charge of and how um, how like everybody else we really are. And um, and to just to 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 stop the train of trying to get people to think you're more impressive than you are because they don't anyway if they're even thinking about you. So what's the point? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Everyone is completely lost in their own movie. It's not... Right, right. Um, But talking about mercy is radical kindness. And I I love that phrase too. And mercy, grace, forgiveness, and compassion are synonyms. Talk about that a little bit because uh, I think that's extraordinarily important that uh, they really are the components of that word, which I have never used before. And I myself might, if someone had used it with me uh, in conversation, I would go, mercy, because of the, maybe the, the Judeo-Christian um, interpretation that I have in my little mind. And I left all of that to go to the East, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's just, it's more BS that, and, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's not any kind of real thing. So now I'm reading it, and, and I'd like to, you to just really talk about the components that make up this word. Well, um, 
it came from it comes from a Greek word misere, but now I can't quite. I think that means a heart for someone else's troubles, mm. and and in this modern era, um, there's so much to do and so much coming in and so much pummeling us and. Um, most people are multitasking and they kind of have their telecommunications empire with them at all times and all of that. And it's hard to notice that um, people are in such doubt and fear and grief and overwhelm and to stop and say to them that you actually have a minute. To, how can you how can you serve them so that um, I can tell you my mercy story from last Sunday with my Sunday school kids. I it's a tiny sort of failing church. And so I usually have a few kids and they could be anywhere from seven to 18 and um, all in one room. I had three nine-year-olds and it's Lent right now, which all wisdom traditions celebrate the return of the light and the, the resurrection and the wildflowers and the bulbs. So um, I said to the kids, let's make a contract till I see you again for this week. And I let's focus it on mercy. Well, we immediately were talking about how easy it is to be sweet and forgiving with people that do something to you that they probably didn't mean to do but hurt you and but with ourselves we cross our arms and we cut off all communication we cut ourselves off from the great shalom when we're when we harsh ourselves and um, so the first thing we were going to do was to be with ourselves the way we would be with a friend and the second thing was that we were going to each fill a box of um, for goodwill or uh, Salvation Army of art supplies and toys, right? I mean, talk about what grace looks like or mercy. And the third thing we were going to do was every day we're going to tell one very old person that you that we love their clothes, especially if they had hats on. <laughs> it's been raining a lot out here. And so those were the three things. We're going to talk to ourselves like we were, gonna, we were with our friends, watch the self-talk. We were going to fill a box with art supplies and toys for children. And we were going to tell very old people that we loved their clothes. And um, that's what mercy and loving kindness and grace and it all look like. They, they, you know, the Bible says many times in different ways that, that it's about action. It's not about thinking really um, darling thoughts. Um, and it's not about, um, it's not that there's no code to break. You know, there's not going to be a point at which you've broken the, the spirit code and all of a sudden you're in kind of very calm euphoria most of the time. It's about taking the action of love and, and then the insight follows. So if you're having a bad day and you want to have loving feelings, you do loving things. It's really simple. And every wisdom tradition, pretty much many of them say that. So um, I'm not sure that wisdom, that compassion, loving kindness, mercy are all synonyms, but they're all, they're sort of synonyms-ish, you know, <laughs> There, if you say one, I know what you're talking about. Now, when I was a child, you could also use the words the common good or fair or fairness without being mocked. And you can't anymore. But just because they're no longer um, valid or, you know, honored doesn't mean you sh we can't start using them again. We know, you know, if you say the word fair, oh, whoever said the world would be fair. Uh, or people say, oh, fair is where the pony rides are, you know, as if that's uh, helpful. Yeah, right. And But I know what fair is. You know what fair is. And um, you know what the common good is. It, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of a communist or socialist idea that from all to all and that we got it all from someone and we share it all um, as freely as it was shared with us. So, mm. You know, the... 
the way you engage uh, with something that's really important to me, it's something that, um, and I'll refer back to, to Ramdas when I first met him. I was just actually uh, working last night uh, talking to people around a, uh, a new online course that we're doing uh, a- around aging, called Aging into Awakening. Uh, and I said, you know, one extraordinarily important thing is how honest you can be with yourself. And when I first was attracted to Ramdas, when I first heard the first talks, and I went, uh, it was actually uh, in, in uh, Montreal, and I was a program director of a rock and roll radio station, and they wanted me to promote him. And uh, I said, like, who's that? And they finally sent me a, they sent me a, t- I said, send me a tape if you want me to do Of course, I knew who Richard Alpert and Tim Leary were very well, mm. uh, and in it, the uh, the self-honesty that he had, the willingness to share his, all of his foibles and all of his shortcomings, and it immediately, of course, made me feel like I wasn't crazy. That was number one, and number two, it just uh, created a, a, a complete spacious um, uh, ground from which I could then actually uh, enter into a stream that made uh, good sense in terms of a, a real path I could follow. So mm-hmm. uh, that that was an extremely important thing. And in this book, and I'm going to read this one thing because you you do you are pretty self honest throughout the book and throughout all your books, of course, and all your writing. My unloveliness, on the other hand, is always on tap, like draft beer. My boring self obsession, pettiness, and Schadenfreude. Wearing my bad pair of glasses, I look around and see that I am surrounded by swine. <laughs> How do you expect me to react? If Boy, talk about relating with something. Uh, by, but God, in her guise, as coyote trickster, gooses me and I accidentally let go. I take a break from being prug- prickly and judgmental. I stop, pull back, take a breath. The next thing I know, I let others go first or see that perhaps now is not the time to demand an explanation or an apology. Against all odds, I'll somehow stop the campaign for now. I'll start over. I start over. I'm able to keep the patient more patient and I get me back. I I could have written that if I could write like you, I mean, about myself in that situation and and about a million other people as well. Uh, So let's talk about, how about a little mercy for ourselves first? Can you, can you talk about that? I mean, before. Well, I think that, yeah, I think that's where it all begins. And I write a lot about that in the book that it's, it's relatively easy to extend mercy to almost everyone. And, you know, there's some people that are pretty challenging that might be a neighbor or relative or an ex, but the hardest person of all to do the forgiveness and the self-care, the care for is, is ourselves because we know what we're really like on the inside and everybody thinks we're just so sweet and giving and adorable. And, and, and we know on the inside that we're just deeply human and that means flawed and, you know, mealy mouth and kind of worried. And, um, and so for me, I, again, what I was saying is I can't just think this and I, I, I need to share it. Like whether it's with my nine-year-old church school kids or whether it's with uh, a brother or a friend in recovery or somebody at my church, I need to say, I'm just really being so 
mean to myself about this stupid mistake I made. And almost anybody will say upon hearing this, upon a little truth telling, will say, oh, me too. I do that too. I've done that too. Mm -hmm. I thought that this morning and I called someone and it was healed or it was I got my sense of humor back, you know. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that laughter is carbonated holiness and when we get our, when we can get our sense of humor about ourselves back, we're home free. And it's not about um, figuring out something else, a new thing. Figure it out is not a good slogan. But um, you take the action. What can I do for myself right now? I'm starting to get a little hungry, I want to warn you. Um, I would love a new pair of socks for the book tour. Uh, it doesn't always take money. I could take a really hot bath because I'm, I'm getting older and things hurt. And things are not working nearly as well as they did once. And um, and and I can take an action that I would take for you. And I, I've never seen you before, you know. And if you were here and you were hungry, I would feed you. That's what Jesus says. Go get everybody some water. You know, go. Um, do you have some food? Share it. And um, very simple stuff. And 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 I would say, look, do you do you want me to dry you a bath? My son has Epsom salts in his bathroom. I can make you a hot. I would automatically know how to care for you. And I think that's those same gestures of those same expressions, let's say, of love and grace are what we're so starved for. And we want the bright, per, the perfect person to come along and bestow those things upon us. And the perfect person is us. Mm. And if we're starving for this stuff and we bring it to ourselves and it exists, it's in the same room we were in when we thought we were missing it. It was actually there all along mm. in this distressing guise as ourselves. <laughs> the distressing guise of ourselves. Hey, there's a great story in the book I'd love for you to tell uh, that points th points this out. Uh, is a true way of giving and receiving it in the same moment. And that's the story of your friend Tom and mm -hmm. Terry. And, and they, uh, they went off to a, a shelter, I believe. And can you tell that story? Yeah, they're, they're both priests. Tom is the, I've written so much about him, Tom Weston, the, my Jesuit friend. And he had just gotten sober. And there was a Franciscan priest in L.A. who was going to take him to a gathering of other alcoholics. It was Tom's, like, first week. And so he was just a mess. He was hypersensitive like a burn victim he hated everyone he didn't want to get sober he thought he could just work with the disease for a few more weeks and get it to work better and have a cool refreshing beer with breakfast once again but instead he was with his priest friend and they were walking up the stairs to where the other men were it was right next to a shelter and it was men who were there to support um, people getting sober um in this male shelter and the man in front of him got violently ill from both ends and Tom was trapped on the stairs halfway up with people crowding him and pushing him upward and then people up above the, the sick man. And it was just a nightmare. It was like if you're OCD, the single most terrifying thing is for somebody else's effluvia to get on you when you're, when you're only a few days sober, when you most are kind of vaguely suicidal and very, very tense. So it's a story of how this older man, the Franciscan, helped him through it. And what he did was to get help for the sick man. And what he did was to ask for people who would help the man who was covered in various fluids, um, would get him clean clothes, share their own clothes with him, take him next door to the shelter, wash him, wash his clothes, give him something to eat, make him a cup of tea. 
and what um, Terry, the Franciscan, said to the man at the moment when he was so violently and um, flagrantly ill was, it looks like you need a little help. And, um, you know, can I help you? And then if you can get there, everything falls into place. And because the man couldn't say, no, I'm fine, <laughs> he was so beyond being able to do what we mostly do is say, oh, no, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then it gave all these other men the, the chance to serve and to he- help and to be instruments of God's peace. And I heard, I wrote another story about a woman who helped me get sober 30 years ago named Loretta towards the end of the book. And um, and what I said was that she, I thought I was a hotshot when I got sober. I had three or four books published. I was a speaker. I was I'd born and raised in the same county, so I'm sort of loved out of all sense of proportion. And I came in into sobriety thinking I was a hotshot, and I learned and was taught slowly how to be a servant. And that was where I found happiness. That was where I found myself, and that was where I found union with God. So, mm. Beautiful. Thank you. We, so we've We've talked a little bit about unfolding, which is actually, I think it's the last chapter, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the open drawer. Um, I, I'd like, I think it's good for to share with everybody how some of the ways in which we are folded up. We talked a little bit about it before, and and maybe this is something to strike off on that theme. Um, if uh, in from the book, uh, we get milita- militarized to the beat of someone else's anxiety. I mean, you know, some of this stuff, Annie. I mean, talking about relating with, and uh, I just you write this stuff. I see suddenly my father is <laughs> right in front of my uh, mm-hmm. oh God. Um, militarized to the beat of someone else's anxiety. Yeah. Original need to get warped. It became too expensive to pay attention to our own bodies. We looked to the metronome of other needs, of others' needs. We became serenely attached or anxiously attached or unable to attach at all. As yeah. Beckett wrote, we were too bonny once. The bonniness is easy at first. Many things are easy at first. If you were hungry, you were usually fed. Skin was flawless. Diaper got changed, hopefully before you got a rash. You were nuzzled, sniffed with joy, or amused horror. (laughs) We'd already started to complain, but pretty quickly as we got bigger, we learned to shove it down because someone didn't like it and Mm -hmm. seemed to like us less. And then our needs didn't get met. And we learned to put on happy faces like makeup. I mean, this stuff is really bringing me back into a moment. I can't tell you just reading it. Mm-hmm. We learned to put on happy faces like makeup and to fake feeling okay about ourselves and our family in order to please everyone and thus survive. I mean, it's painful to read this and, and just realize every one of us comes with with this gigantic wound yeah Uh, you know yeah talk about that a little bit yeah well i i i hear that there are people who don't relate to that and who really who had a pretty easy time of it but i'm not close to any of them (laughs) and i wouldn't be able to have a meal with them because it would just be so pointless like what would we talk about and um, the people that I trust and am really safe with and am growing with and am evolving with and um, 
and doing the work with are all people, the, the Me Too people, who I share something like this with, and they don't go, well, that's horrible. I had a very happy, healthy childhood. Um, they, they don't say that never once. They say, you know, me too. I did too. I was scared to death the whole time. I was dancing as fast as I could. I had a very severe addiction to people pleasing by four years old. It was how I felt of value. I personally had, I've written about this a lot, but I had migraines by five and I um, was lying on the floor of bathrooms, um, putting my head on the tile in kindergarten to cool down and people, girls would come into the bathroom and it was, I was so shamed. And one of the ways I dealt with the, the shame and the isolation and the feeling that I was defective was of course to obsess about other people and to try to save and fix and rescue them so that I would feel better about myself. And I just got farther and farther away from my, my own truth. And, and, um, and so to talk about this, there'll be some people who say, oh, don't dwell on it. And I say, thank you so much for sharing. And um, I would never feel safe around that person. But if I shared it with somebody that was doing some of the same spiritual psychological work, they would say, I think it's true for almost everyone we know. And, um, and where, where, do we, where do we even start? Well, you start by being aware of it. You always start with awareness of it. Usually, certainly in recovery from food or addiction or um, codependence or gambling or whatever, it's the willingness to change comes from the pain of not changing. It yeah. comes from the pain of the shame and the obsession. And you finally get to that point where you go, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm in now what? And um, and so to be aware of it and then to start to accept it and to go, wow, everyone I'm close to has the same thing. They've thought the same things. They've done the same things. They've tried the same things and it didn't work for them. It didn't work for me when I was five trying to get the grownups and especially the grownup males to feel better about themselves to try to get the grown-up males to feel better about the catastrophe of their own behavior, that is actually what I'm best at, is to kind of jolly them and co-them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the 50s and 60s, what girls and were taught to say was, you said to men, can I get you a plate, right? Like the men shouldn't even have to go get their own plate of food at the holiday buffet. The girls got, can I get you a plate? And then the men loved and valued you more. And, um, and that's very addictive. That's mood altering. And um, so I, I think you, the awareness and the, and the pain of not growing, not healing is what gets you willing to do this work. And then um, the acceptance of it's a long, it's a long way back from having been turned, you know, turned pretzelized by the culture, by teachers, by parents. And, um, and I'm in. This is why I think I was born was to find my way back to God and to find union with my true self and that little child inside of me and in in the faces of, of everyone around me and in my dog. You know, I've said frequently that I think the closest we come on this side of eternity to knowing the direct love of God is is with our dogs <laughs> and cats, cats, although the cats can be so bitter. But um, um, I think that's why I'm here. So it's not like I'm really late to the party or or that I'll never catch up. It's like turning a switch on. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm here. Now where do we go? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe you know, maybe a hot bath, maybe a new pair of socks, maybe, um, maybe since my grandson isn't here, I can eat his ice cream bars, and there will be no consequence. 
there will not be a grim and unhappy 50 pound person um, glaring at me. You know, I don't know what union with myself will look like today, but I can ask myself and I can ask myself the way I would ask you. Well, how can I serve you? What do you need today? Are your feet really sore? I know what. We'll get a really warm bucket of Epsom salt water. Hmm. I wrote, I've written a lot about um, my obsession over the years um, with weight and how my first 12 years I didn't weigh enough. And this was commented on frequently by strangers and comments to my parents like, what the? Oh, don't you feed her? Well, I was perfect. I was a perfectly healthy child. I was a tennis star. I was thin. Then at about 13, I got fat. And so then I got all the other side of it all. And, um, you know, and I didn't notice how angry that was making me is that the whole world, especially the male world, would have so many thoughts and so many shaming projections onto me about my body, my size, my whatever, my, my hair. And I was bullied mercilessly. And I didn't realize that everybody that was bullied or isolated or really, really different had the same um, wound because you weren't supposed to share it because then everybody would know what a total loser you were. Thank God when the women's movement comes along and I'm about 16 and women are saying, we're here, we have been wounded beyond all imagining. And guess what? We're really mad. I have a friend who's not with us anymore, Pat Fitzpatrick, Pat and she said, if you're a girl over the age of 12 in America and you're not really angry, you've missed the boat. <laughs> you know, and the, the women's liberation movement said to me, we're here. We're going to stick together. We're not about what our bodies look like. We're about our souls. We're about our spirits. We're about our minds. We're going to start telling the truth. And yes, we're mad. And yes, we're available for the resurrection the, the non in the non-Christian sense. And we're going to... Um, tell each other stories and we're going to listen to yours. You want to see? Yeah. You know, and that's what's so crazy about becoming a spiritual seeker or becoming one with God or with other women is that God is saying to you, look, you can have total acceptance from, from all goodness, all divine mind, all um, universal intelligence. You can be um, spiritually fed. You can be loved and chosen and safe. Or you can continue trying to break the code and trying to get all these people in the world to think that you're like the most incredible, amazing person. And you don't go, oh, I want the love and the God and the, you go, you know, can I get back to you on that? Am I willing to give up, um, you know, my book doing really well or, or getting my weight to the perfect place or, you know, getting this or that to look better, you know, to get my surfaces burnished. It's like, can I get back to you on that? But the willingness comes from the pain. And I think once you're in, you know, it's hard to go back. Like when we, when I'm with a young alcoholic, um, I can wreck it for them because I have them tell me the truth of what their drinking was like. And they can't, un, they can't get that toothpaste back in the, in the tube. I read my first Ram Dass book when I was 22. I think it was the only dancer is right before my dad got brain cancer. And um, it wrecked everything. It wrecked not being a seeker for me. Because it was so funny. Mm -hmm. It was carbonated holiness and it was food and it was water and it was myself. It was a neurotic, loving, beautiful, damaged, be human merely being, as E. e. Cummings puts it. And um, and I wanted it. I tasted the living water. And it come we don't it doesn't come where we expect it, you know? And it came for me that day. 
Um, and I've written about that day because it was actually, uh, it's a long story in another book. But anyway, <laughs> you can't, you can't not um, unfeel what you felt when somebody got in deep into your soul and they said, this is actually who you are. And I know that because this is who I really am. And this is where God really is, is with, with us, with two of us in the breath, in the heart, in the truth. And do you want this or um, do you want to get back to me on this? And I had to get back to God on that. But um, I couldn't get Ramdas um, to quit bugging me in, in my heart, in what he calls the heart cave. It was like, yeah, I'm just, I've got the same stuff you've got. And I found a way one day at a time through love and service and prayer and meditation to heal. And uh, I needed to get sober about eight years after I read my first Ram Dass book. And then how could I go back? I've tasted it. Mm. I know why I'm here. Mm. I know what I have to offer. I can get you a glass of water. Mm. That's really all I have to offer. And a sandwich. And a sandwich. Got to have that sandwich. Yeah. I've been put off sandwiches for a month for cholesterol reasons. And yeah. I'm dying. A piece of toast or a sandwich. That's... <laughs> Uh, you talk in one uh, little place. Here's another beautiful little place. I mean, the book is so full of, uh, I don't want to be too. Effusive. Effusive. Okay, that's the right that's word. That's okay. But I, I'll, I, look, I have I'll to, look away. I'll look okay, away for a moment. Okay. Uh, this is about mercy as a cloak. It taught me that mercy is a cloak that will wrap around you and protect you. It can block the terror, the dark and most terrifying aspects of your own true self. It is soft, has lots of folds, and enfolds you. It can help you rest and breathe again for the time being, which is all we ever have, our present moment. Um, I, I think this is because we talked about, you know, the things that... Uh, give us the wounds early in our life and the roles that we are shoved into. And then we talk about how we wake up because of the pain at some point is just absolutely too overwhelming not to wake up. And we wake right. up. And then we need little, little methods and little reminders and little exercises to allow us to be able to operate on a day-to-day -day basis in the world. And I think that um, bringing in the, the this idea of cloaking yourself, and I like the components of mercy, of compassion, kindness, forgiveness. I, I like that idea that that's mercy. I mean, this is a whole new definition for me now. As I said before, mercy was not a word that I would have chosen in any which way uh, to use in in this respect, which is why when I uh, I saw the book, I s saw that what was, and I wanted to talk to you about it because it just set me in a completely 360 about mercy, and uh, so I, I think that um, you should give us a few other little tidbits of what are the thing little actionable items like thinking of mercy as a cloak in that moment that you can just breathe into that gives us some kind of spaciousness. So I, I ask you for some other little clues 
to allow ourselves to come back to ourselves? Well, paradoxically, I think that the, one of the ways I come back to myself, a lot of people come back through breath, and that's um, sometimes available as, as a way to reestablish that umbilical connection to God and, and universe. Um, but it's so amazing to, to, to let yourself or, or kind of goad yourself into picking up the 300-pound phone and, and asking someone if they have a minute. And, um, and then the truth is how we find our way home. And we don't say to someone, um, oh, I'm great. How are you? We say, um, I'm just, I feel very sad and overwhelmed and I'm, I'm kind of down on myself and I can't remember, um, where we even start. And they might say, you, you did it. You called me, you called love. You know, when you called me, you called love. There's a story about being in a kind of a fancy women's boutique franchise. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, and th thinking that thinking that what I needed was to shop and to do yeah. the retail therapy and to buy a cute sweater. And what I really needed was to call a girlfriend and say, I'm just nuts. I'm I'm an I'm nuts and I'm an awful person. And she said, Oh, I'm so glad you called. And she kind of teased me. She said, Oh, we're all concerned about you. And then she'd say, you know, wherever you are, sit down. Well, then the saleswoman brings me this tiny cup of water that I said in the book you would serve, a, you know, to a cat. A tiny, hilariously yeah, small cup of water. Then I've got the water. Water is often involved with us finding our way back home because we're made of water. We grew in water. We marinated in water. We returned to something like water um, and flow. And so for me, it involves glasses of water. It involves warm ocean water. It involves hot water. And it involved this tiny symbol of water that the saleswoman, and I was home talking to a friend who was making me laugh and then having this symbol of water. I'll tell you this trippy thing. Once in um, my pastor, Veronica, was um, giving the children a sermon, which we don't do anymore. And she said, I want you to close your eyes and listen. And I want you to tell me everything you hear. One kid, oh, I hear, I heard a siren a minute ago. Oh, I heard a dog barking. Oh, I heard somebody's shoes scraping. And then this four-year-old boy named Tommy said, I hear water at the edge of all things. <laughs> and I thought that's Einstein, you know, that is time and space. And I hear water at the edge of all things. So anyway, for me to find my way back to my truth and myself and my heart, my heart cave, God and that little child often involves getting myself a, a cup of tea. I put water on for tea. Tea is, I, my mother was from Liverpool and tea was usually the solution to about 90% and somebody making you a cup of tea is what divine, the, the, the divine face of God looks like. And, um, I believe as a person with a, with cellulite and I have, I, I have a real body and I had a baby 20, almost 28 years ago. And then I somehow forgot to go to the gym afterwards. And, and I certainly mean to, and probably will as soon as we finish this interview, but <laughs> <laughs> I also, I have cellulite. I have this little fanny pack that's really warm and welcoming and children love it. And my partner loves it. And he buries his head in my little, it's a very welcoming and warm tummy, but it's not a real swimsuit tummy. Let's say it's not a real swimsuit with strangers tummy. And so what I do, since I believe in swimming in warm water as a radical act, every single chance you get on this mortal coil 
I'll go in and I'll, I'll show myself the tummy and I'll say, oh, let's put some lotion on that. And I'll put a really delicious smelling lotion because then it's kind of aromatherapy too. <laughs> it's aromatherapy and it's a laying on of hands, right? It's a priestess rubbing lotion into the tummy. And then I might put a little decal. My grandchild has a lot of decals around and I might put a the power, girl Power Ranger decal on my tummy or I might put a rose or I might draw a little rose on my tummy. And um, and then, like, who cares what some stranger thinks about you when you're about to plunge into the salty umbilical oneness of the ocean? Who cares? Well, I kind of do. But day by day, with a lot of love, I care less. So um, it's always you take the action. What would I offer to a girlfriend who came over in, um, in, in a place of rejecting her body? I'd say, oh, let's take off our shirts, okay? And let's put lotion on our arms and let's go get manicures. Let's go get pedicures. Oh, let me give you this crazy glittery nail polish I have. That's what I did the week of the inauguration. I went and I got a crazy glittery yeah. nail polish. I'll tell you why. And I have to go in a minute because I'm really hungry. But... Um, <laughs> I went to get a little nail polish because that is the laying on of hands and it's turning something. I have the na hands of like a dock worker, which my grandfather in Liverpool was. And so I went to get, well, right now I actually, I'll hold them up. I have this beautiful light pink nail polish on for my little girl inside who loves this. But the day, the week of the inauguration, I went and I sat down in the salon and there was a woman of enormous size and sturdiness and joy sitting next to me. I mean, she looked, if God is a woman, she looked just exactly like God. I think if God is a man, he might look like Isaac Stern. And if a woman, <laughs> either Bette Midler or the woman I was sitting next to, and she was in such joy. And she was getting this crazy nail polish with confetti. And she said, I'm a lot older than you, and I'm 100 pounds heavier, and I teach dance. And I know that Friday is going to be a very, very day, hard day for me and all of my friends. So I'm getting this confetti nail polish so that I can think no matter what happens I can still dance mm. and so I got that so I thought you know what that's the ultimate hallelujah anyway story right mm. I mean just to kind of wrap it up is that Trump is being inaugurated and Jeff Sessions and this and that and the other but you know what hallelujah anyway and look at these beautiful nails and I thought about that happy happy woman who I think God sent to me. I think God looked through a Rolodex and found this dance teacher and sent her to me. And we sat together and we did laying on of hands and I got me back. I got my joy back. I got my breath back. And I got these incredible nails. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yes. Being open to every moment is a wonderful message to wake up for sure. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank um, you. And and also in this book, you talk a lot. I, I know you got to go, but uh, mercy and grace and the connectivity of those that uh, the grace of, for me, the grace of mercy now newly defined for me uh, as a real purpose for being here. Right. And the Buddhists would call it bodhisattva uh, is that is true grace, and and I that's why I love that story of of the of your two uh, Jesuit priest friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was. What do you do when you're just forced? I mean, it was right yeah. in front of them, right in front right, of him. Right. Never mind that he was a priest. Right. 
Yeah, he had just come both out. both priests, yeah. Yeah, and never mind, he had just come out of, uh, you know, abstinence. Recovery, he, yeah. Recovery. He just had to act from the deepest part of himself. Right. And that mercy is t- is total grace. And, uh, yeah, so wonderful book, Annie. Really, Thank really, you, really, honey. really love it. And uh, really happy to, to share it with everybody. And uh, where can people find you? They can find you. Uh, uh, you know, well, I found I, you on Facebook. I mean, just see, I um, I have a lot of technological problems. My son, who's twenty seven, always says to me, "Mom, don't let people um, see you try to do things <laughs> because I can't work. I can work old fashioned. I can work land phone landlines, <laughs> but um, if you um, go to Facebook, which I don't, I have a writer's page, but I don't actually interact." I write pieces there and schedules are there if you want to see if I'm um, anywhere near you. If you put in Anne Lamott, I think it goes through my page. And I have a Twitter thing that often links to the Facebook at at Anne Lamott. And I have an Instagram, and I think it's at Anne Lamott. And um, that's how people tell me they can find me. (laughs) Well, definitely follow Annie on uh, Twitter or or Facebook because uh, the wonderful... A post that they do. I mean, I, I look for them all the time. And by the way, awesome. uh, so Annie's going on tour and you're going to be on tour in April. And yeah. uh, you're going to uh, everybody just go to be here now network dot com slash mind rolling. And you go to the page and we're going to put all that information and we're going to have a link to the book. We're going to have everything going on there so that because uh, uh, it's not I mean, I do podcasts with authors and so on uh and and i'm always fairly enthusiastic yeah but i'm way more enthusiastic in this moment and i because i think that given the times that we're in and uh, you know i wish we had another two or three hours to talk about how we can actually actuate what mercy really represents so that we are not hating anybody including those that we think did something Right. Maybe not so um, smart. We're uh, loving, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, my pastor always closes her services by saying, God bless you, good. <laughs> so I'll leave you with that. And yes, thank really. you so much. I loved spending an hour with you. And Ramdas, I love you so much. I am so here with you and for you for, for the rest of our lives. Mm, thank you. I'll convey your wishes to him, Annie. Thank you. And I look forward to uh, doing this again okay. sometime. Okay. Okay. This is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and we'll see you next week.